You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 160 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here with my good buddy, co-host, Dadu Worldwide himself, Jay Desai. Jay, how are you? Man, I'm doing great. And it's February. It's a good time to be alive. Amen, brother. It's like, you know, we had a cold snap a few weeks ago and everybody was kind of running for their lives, especially our team in Knoxville. We got nine inches of snow in Knoxville, like mid-January. And some of those, some of those kids did not know which end is up. Couldn't get out of their driveways, couldn't get down the road. It was bananas. So, you know, my growing up in Buffalo, went to school in Michigan, you know, my Northern snow ridden past just was kind of chuckling on the inside because you're snow ridden past that's great yeah luckily <laughs> luckily spencer uh got a pickup truck no he got a bronco oh he got a Bronco. well that's basically a toy that's not even a real car it has four wheel drive though yeah i'm surprised the jeep didn't have to pull him out of his own driveway <laughs> i literally watch jeeps pulling broncos out of the mud for fun that's funny well being a jeep owner you can just you know Wave at everybody and give them a rubber duck. Honestly, the duck thing's weird. I get annoyed. Where did that come from? Do you know? I I don't know, but it's like a thing. It's like kitschy now because like you get these decorated ducks. Like someone put a Batman duck on my car recently, and then someone put a Santa duck on my car. I literally just throw them in the cup holder, and then if I see a Jeep, I put them there, or I give them to my friend's kids when I see them. Yeah, people are weird, man. Don't touch my Jeep. Yeah. Well, we've got a great interview coming today. I'm excited to hear from our friend Tony Stairs from Lavo, and he's going to fill us all in. How do you spell that? Lavo, L-A-W-O. Mm, sounded like L-A-V-O to me, but that's fun. Well, that's what you've always said, but I'm telling you, the Germans pronounce their W's like V's. What can I say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the... You but before yourself we get up to on that. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But before we get to the interview, before we get to the interview, we need to bring back a much loved, not often heard from segment, Turn Down for MXU. We have gotten quite a few turndowns lately, and especially as they tie into this thing that we found as we were looking for the end of the internet, I think it's just, it's appropriate that we kind of go there. So let's just preface this. This is from our friend, Brian. This first, this was from back in December and they got a, you know, it always comes on a prayer request card, right? It's always, right. you know, it's, it's not, how can we help? It's how can we pray for you? And so everybody wants you to pray about the sound. So this is, this is a good one. I'm going to read I'm going to read it verbatim. Do it. The volume of the praise and worship music and vocals is all too often physically uncomfortable. Hmm. I've been in the aviation industry for almost 42 years, and I know that I have experienced some degree of hearing loss. My wife, however, can still hear a fly fat. My wife, however, can still hear a fly flatulate. Wow. The volume of the physical assault was almost unbearable. My wife stopped worshiping to hold her fingers in her ears. Mine hurt. It was also not comfortable as the deep thumping bass was felt deep within our innards. That might have, that's probably what got the fly to flatulate. It's innards. Yeah. Rumbling in your innards will make you flatulate. My wife and I both enjoy our music on the loud side, but this is physically uncomfortable. 
The volume on pastors preaching this morning was also on the uncomfortable side. Is there anything that can be done to tone this down a bit? It's almost to the point that it is a hostile environment, something that I think we can all agree should not be in a church. Okay, so when we get these, first of all, the fly flatulating is pretty awesome. I think that's that's great. When we get when we get these though, the person who sends us these always gives context. So they're measuring LEQ, they're measuring real time SPL, they're measuring all these things. Uh, the sermon is averaging at seventy three dB for the sermon. Music is averaging ninety four over the three song set. So it is it is pretty loud, but it's not like you know arena rock loud. It's just you know, it's a full, big, modern worship mix. Um, so I don't know. I mean, a- anytime we get these, I feel like there's a reason this person complained. So it's either tonality or coverage. It's rarely SPL. I think when most people complain, it's more about the tone than it is about the volume. But anyway, what do you think about making flies flatulate? Or sorry, yes. being able to hear flies flatulate. I mean, Brian, I would take that guy to lunch, just build a bridge, and then ask him how much he gave on Sunday. <laughs> oh, well, here's another one. Oh, yeah, you got another one? Yeah, so this is from another prayer request card. Please reduce the volume of the music. It is too loud and reduces ability to participate in worship. You should not be damaging hearing. 90 dB max. Thank you. Where did all these people get their... I don't know. It's If they're looking at their watch and it's telling them that it's too loud or what it is, but the fact that the average parishioner would even know what 90 dB is, is interesting to me. I don't know if the average person knows what a parishioner is. Well, that's true. But if if their watch is, is reading C-weighted, then their watch might be telling them it's 115. I mean, it's, you know, 90 dB max is like, okay, OSHA, maybe they work for OSHA. Maybe they, um, but if they did, they would understand that OSHA's standards are based on long-term exposure. So you can withstand over 90 dB for quite a while, especially because worship music being as dynamic as it is, is not going to do damage at that volume for two, three minutes at a time. Yeah, anyway. I'm with you. Apple, 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 let's recalibrate that thing, you know? Yeah. Also, stop wearing Apple Watches, people. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we got one more. We, I got one more here. Yeah, one, one more. Yeah. Said, you want to read this said, one? Uh, our friend Travis said, we had a guest from yeah. out of town visit our church the morning before our big Christmas production. We decided to do an acoustic set to give the orchestra the morning off. So it was pretty much keys and three acoustics. A guest b- named Billy walked out and handed our deacons a connect card and said, no guitars or no Billy, which I appreciate the gangster threat. But uh, they just had keys and three acoustics. Well, one looks yep. like one electric, but Billy, I'm sorry, man. Don't know what to yep. tell you. Might might be time to find a church well, I or, think or double hopefully down. Hopefully they brought the orchestra on the back. Team. Yeah, hopefully they brought the orchestra back the very next week so we could get Billy's um, input back into our service programming because apparently he's got some opinions. Yeah. 
Which I appreciate, well, Billy. Say what you need to. Yeah, say what you need. But I think the whole point is, obviously, if there's a complaint, there's something behind it. Whether it's actually too loud or actually, you know, offensive or whatever the adjective is, something led these people to get out a prayer request card and pray for your ability to mix. So, you know, to some degree, I think obviously vision of leadership is important here. You know, you guys need to define for your, your experiences, what your sound for your church is, and then provide some guardrails. And if, if you go beyond those guardrails, then don't be surprised if you get feedback. But if you're within the guardrails, then either have a conversation, you know, direct them to the right person to have a conversation. Like Jay said, take them to lunch and figure out what's behind their complaint. But again, um, these are, these are funny here, but sometimes, you know, it's not funny if it's actually impacting people's experience in a negative way, which leads me to a website that as we have gotten into these comments over and over and over again, our good friend Nick in the MXU Slack posted a link to a book. And this is amazing. There is a book called The Decibel Doctrine. Mm. This book reveals the hidden agenda of rock loud music in the sanctuary. And it looks awesome. Here's the sh short summation. Here's why the music is getting so loud in my church. There's a new age belief that intense volumes of music facilitated by electronic technology entertains the presence of God. This false doctrine is a belief that loud music attracts and pleases God. The decibel doctrine is also a belief that loud music is biblical worship. The decibel doctrine is a book that reveals the hidden agenda of rock and roll volume music in the sanctuary. So, I want to read the book because I'm not sure how the author reconciles this belief with verses that say, sing a new song and shout for joy. You know, praise him in the sanctuary with loud symbols. I'm pretty sure clanging symbols is, you know, at yes. least 95 dB. Man, if it's some of our drummers, holy cow. Some of these <laughs> bam bams out there need a chill on the crashes. That's right. So anyway, um, it's a 20-year collection of articles by this guy, uh, and it reveals basically why church music has become so loud in the sanctuary. Also, the so, image on the front of the book is like a chapel with a guy in yeah. front of it holding his ears, which is pretty good. Um, you don't have to buy the $23 paperback online. No. You can go to the no. website and buy a $6.99 ebook version. That's right. Maybe it's a, uh, I wonder if it's, oh, it's an ebook. It's not an audio book. I was going to say, it'd be great if it was an audio book. We could, uh, <laughs> it's just whispers. Probably, they whisper the whole could probably book. give good examples. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for letting us, uh, turn down for MXU. But at the end of the day, you know, there's probably a grain, a grain of truth in some of these complaints. Maybe we should all, as an assignment, maybe we should all read the decibel doctrine and then come back and discuss. MSU yeah, book or we club. can maybe see if David's still with us here on Earth, and he would come on the podcast. That would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah, I don't. That's probably not probably not advisable. I can't be trusted in those kind of environments. <laughs> I just need to be you and him. 
Oh, that's funny. Well, anyway, let's get to our interview today. We're, like I said, talking with Tony Stairs from Lavo, and he's going to fill us all in, actually, on some of the behind the scenes and inner workings of the sphere in Las Vegas. So I cannot wait to hear from Tony. I know a lot of people have questions. A lot of people have seen stuff on social media, and a lot of you have maybe been there for YouTube yep. or some of the other experiences they have. So I know and you right and the boys- the interview- well, I was going to say right after the interview, stay tuned because I am going to tell you my experience at you too. Excellent. Well, can't wait to hear that. And we'll get to that right after this. Well, we're thrilled today to be joined by our good friend, Tony Stairs from Lavo. And Jay, that's Lavo, even though it's L-A-W-O. Yeah, on phonics. You one know. of these days you'll get it right. Um, right. But... Um, just wanted to welcome Tony and um, just catch up. So, how have you been doing, man? Doing good, man. Uh, busy year, a lot going on, but uh, you know, can't really complain. So, yeah, I just uh, things keep growing, especially on the audio side, which is kind of the big portion I manage. And uh, you know, definitely no complaints. It's uh, other than we need more people to come come work for us for uh, keep up with all the projects we're doing. So, well, that's great. Well, 2023 was uh, definitely a big year for a lot of people, but you, um, unbeknownst to many people, I guess, were a big part of a little project going on in Las Vegas, which um, by now people have seen and are kind of flabbergasted by. So we want to spend a good chunk of our time today talking about the sphere and just to get kind of an insider's look into some of that technology and some of the just all of what it took to pull that off and some of the initial response to kind of now that it's been in front of an audience for a while, just to get some of the just honest feedback about how it is and what it's like and all that. So, cause I know a lot of people are going to want to see it, especially with trade shows coming up. There's going to be a, a lot of people clamoring to get inside that thing. So um, we're excited that you're here today to help talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, glad to be here. You know, I love you guys. Always happy to uh, be in the same room virtually or in person. So, yeah, I, mean, I really appreciate all you guys do and have always. You know, yeah, sorry that we missed you at our live event back in the fall. I know you had a... Yeah, where were you? I was in Amsterdam uh, at a little trade show there um, oh, called IBC. Man. You know, uh, just struggling uh, there uh, in Amsterdam in the fall, you know. Just uh, suffering for the Lord. Yeah, you know, somebody's got to do the Lord's work. I mean, Jay, you just got back from a little vacation that you had to I Prague did. and other parts of Europe. So, I mean, Berlin, you guys, and Co- have you have you been to Copenhagen? I have not. No, I have not on my it, list. It was ama- it was freezing, but it was amazing. I'm so actually cool. leaving for Germany uh, on Friday this week. And uh, I'm not looking forward to the weather. Just I wasn't looking forward yeah, to cold. the weather that is upon us here in Austin, Texas. I'm definitely not looking forward to the weather in Germany. So, but yes, yeah, your European man, cold crazy. Is, is a little bit different. Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to fly into Amsterdam because normally we fly into Frankfurt, spend a couple of days, just kind of getting through the jet lag before. It, literally, it's like eight hours of meetings for a full week. So it's like. Let's go to a fun city. I kind of get tired of Frankfurt. So, you know, I'll uh, 
get cold in Amsterdam again. So I think it's all good. There's nothing that paints a picture of sort of German mentality and German engineering more than the Frankfurt airport. It is like the most (laughs) linear, like button down experience you'd ever want from a, from an international airport. Yeah. Uh, Amsterdam, not so much. No, no, Schiebel, not so much. Yeah, you're trying to get out of Schiebel, you, you you might want to get there a day ahead of time. But yeah, in in Frankfurt, man, you, you get in the right line, you're going to wind up where you need to be. If you get in the wrong yeah. line, it's your fault. You should have gotten the right it's line. It's your fault. So. Yeah, you should have known better. That's funny. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I hope that goes well. So yeah. um, obviously, you know, Lavo is a German company. That's why your meetings and stuff are there. A lot of people don't know a lot about Lavo's consoles, but we um, we featured the Lavo desk at our 2022 mxu tour yeah and uh, i was able to mix on it which was an awesome experience um let's take a few minutes before we get into the sphere let's take a few minutes and talk about maybe what's new uh in the product line or what you guys are working on lately that people might not know about is there anything yeah absolutely yeah i mean a few things for sure um Let's see, uh, in AB New York, we launched this little controller called the Crystal. Uh, Previous models of the Crystal were mainly just in our radio line, uh, but this is the first one that crosses over in what we would call audio production, where it can be used as a console controller. So a couple different things. It can be like an extra fader tile for a console or remote fader tile for a console. It can even be switched into OSC mode to where then you can use it as a DAW controller. Um, Oh, cool. And so what this means, like, because we have a core that's external and what's even unique about our console core can be subdivided into multiple independent consoles. So, which is even new for us as far as a number of consoles. We've been doing this for a while with four. We've now released where you can do 32 independent small consoles off one 1RU core. So 1RU. 1RU. So 1,024 channels, 1RU. Um. And so, like, if you want just, like, you know, 14 faders and broadcast, you can just hook that up to the, the core with this little crystal controller, maybe a little, um, you know, touchscreen, and basically have kind of an independent little console without buying one of our big, large kind of production consoles. So That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a way to, you know, kind of expand your facility, take the same hardware that we've had for quite a while, and do more with it. Um, we have some more things coming down the pike. We actually introduced a new, which is not new for a lot of people, but new for Lavo. Um, we introduced a iPad aux mixer, so you can do aux mixes from an iPad. Uh, it's all HTML based, so it actually doesn't have to be an iPad. Anything with a browser, you can log in, find your aux, do pans and levels, and all that kind of good stuff. So it's one of those things like we've been people have been asking for a long time. You know, not to put our product team down, but for a long time, the Germans were like, we lost why would you buy a console and not have somebody behind it? You know, and, uh, you know, I think through just a progression in the company and getting into new markets, you know, kind of saw the need for remote, you know, kind of mix applications and things like that. So that's very quite a few things. What is that product called? So the aux mixer, or well, the crystal, you have the crystal console, which is the little small like surface, and then the aux mixer really is just a first step in some things that are coming for us, but it comes free. You buy a console, you oh, know, cool. it's really just a web service that runs on the console that you remote into. That's it. So there's no app to download. There's nothing to keep updated because it's HTML-based, 
application, anything with a browser, a phone, tablet, whatever, can can log in, get your mix, you know, and dial it up. So, so right speaking on. of that, I don't I don't want to make any assumptions about what you guys are developing, but um, you know, I've heard from more and more users and console manufacturers, I think people are trying to chase some way to basically be completely remote in absolutely mixing, you know, in other words, to have a broadcast mix that can originate from somebody sitting in their living room or, you know, get a, get the right control platform. And then from my place at home, I could help a church with their broadcast mix or their monitor mix or whatever. I mean, it seems like that HTML based iPad based kind of thing is opening the door to some of that kind of stuff. Would you say that's true? I mean, not don't reveal anything about Lavo if you can't, but no, I feel like that's something that a lot of people are really trying to go after. I mean, the cool thing about us is we've been doing that remote control thing for a long time, like quite a while um, to where like our surface has been removed from the core and that connection between the surfaces and the core is all IP based and can be connected over a long, wide area backhaul. Um, what we've tried to, what we've realized, of course, is like most people don't want a massive console sitting in their office at home. So, right. um, what do we do to kind of re- allow that remote interface? Well, one thing we started during COVID was called Mix Kitchen, which is our console GUI that you can load on any computer, and then you were able to connect any any. Huey, Mackie Huey interface, which is an open protocol. So you could remotely control a console, console core from that interface, you know, and all you needed was return audio. So things like Lucy Live, Unity Connect, or if you had some other way of getting return monitor audio, then you could you could do that remotely. So we have kind of quite a few ways, you know, to remote in and do it. You can have a remote surface. I was actually just at a uh, television station um, Last week, um, I was at, well, I probably could say it. I was at TBN Studios in Nashville installing a console last week. They're building a facility in Dallas, and they're like, and they have some stuff all over. So they're like, how can we just remote mix? And it's like, if you can get remote control over usually just a dedicated little VPN, uh, which is you know, very low bandwidth, um, and then return audio, you can connect your Surface to any core remotely. So, um, yeah, it's kind of what we do. We're just trying to find simpler and let more compact ways of doing it. So things like the crystal coming out, you know, doing more of the HTML thing um, just makes it easier. Um, and where you may be able to do it over the wide area internet, you know, versus, you know, having some sort of dedicated circuit or, you know, at least, you know, guaranteed VPN kind of thing. Um, That's very cool. So for the yeah. crystal, what's the, what's the form factor of that? Like how many faders? What, what does the control surface look like? Yeah, it can be ordered as small as like a little four fader, and then you can go up to like 14 faders on the thing and do a couple, couple multiple layers on it. And like I said, it can be used in kind of a couple different applications. So like a small like radio, with our, we sell this thing called a power core, which is like a small version, or a UHD core, which is our big one. And that can be used for like a small setup. I say small, that can go up to like 96 inputs as it's licensed. And that's another thing we do quite well is we license products to expand them. So like... If you buy a UHD core at like 128 channels, again, you can license that in chunks up to 1,024. So the hardware you buy today can last you so much longer because, you know, just because you outgrow channels doesn't mean you 
you throw it away and start over with a new desk. That's very cool. So same thing with the crystal. You could start, you know, we're talking to, you know, some big, big companies right now of like, well, maybe you start on the edge with these little power cores and crystals, but if you grow, put some centrally located UHD cores, and then you can actually still use your power cores as stage boxes, you know, and not engine. So you, there's just so much flexibility in what we do. Um, I think it makes it difficult for people at times because they're like, what product were we talking about? And we're like, it's right. the same product. It's just licensed differently on how you want to use it. So, um, yeah. I'm it's, looking it's, at the uh, crystal right now. It's pretty awesome looking. Yeah. So it's just, and it could be ordered in white or black. Like we've done white for so long in the radio line, but I realized, that, you know, audio production guys like black. So uh, we've got two, two different colors as well. So no difference, just different colors based on kind of what you wanted to order. Actually, we just uh, sold one to a customer in a radio application that wanted black. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. So for people who don't know, like when you say your, your maxed out cores, 1024 channels that's inputs outputs buses every like a channel for you guys is just a path right so right yeah 1024 is any configuration of that number whether it's inputs outputs buses whatever yeah so eight channel blocks you can move inputs to outputs outputs to inputs and pretty much on the fly for the most part so you the console you choose outputs inputs hit apply no reboot off you go. So yeah, it's just a path. We do that because we handle so many different formats. We go anywhere from mono all the way up to 914 Atmos. So, you know, to try to give somebody numbers based on their application, we'd be doing, you know, math that I, I'm not great at. So that's very cool. <laughs> you know, we just count mono paths and, you know, however you need to use it anywhere from like I said, we have customers doing anything from, you know, s- small mono stereo applications all the way up to full Atmos um, applications. That's pretty cool. Which every church but. should be doing Atmos, right? <laughs> uh, probably not. But For now, I no, do. No, no. What what I love about you guys is the flexibility, right? Some people yeah. might think of Lavo as only a large format broadcast, highest level kind of solution. But being as modular as you are, and now with the crystal, it's like you can really kind of scale down the form factor, still have the sound quality, still have the, you know, user interface and the flexibility and have an ecosystem that can grow as your needs grow, which I think is really impressive. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at our video products right now, we're moving from like purpose-built hardware. So where in the past, our processing was built on a blade, that blade had an FPGA, and we could reprogram it for multiple different purposes, but could never scale beyond that blade and capacity. We're taking that processing. We've introduced a thing called Home Apps. Home is kind of the central orchestration platform, but the applications are now processes that you can build on that platform. So now it's multi-viewer, up-down, cross, and that is all built on Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA platforms, so CPU and servers, right? So if you read the writing on the wall, if we've taken our video and gone there, like where the rest of our products could be going as far as scalability and where you could, you know, you could take our other technologies, take it off purpose built hardware into, you know, kind of an off the shelf platform and, and scale it, you know, start a small, start something small and scale it based on companies that are spilling, spending millions upon millions of dollars in R and D, you know, you see processors and, and, uh, video cards, the capacity is growing 
infinitely and very quickly. And so, yeah, I say stay really close to what we're doing. And we have some really cool stuff coming in the audio space kind of based on, you know, a lot of what I'm talking about here. That's cool. Well, that's exciting. And, um, you know, I, I just know from a user standpoint, I was unfamiliar with the workflow and the console really at all until I was using it for MXU. And, you know, in terms of getting up and running and, you know, familiarity with it and being able to kind of customize the workflow, it really worked well for me and made a lot of sense. Obviously, sounds great. And, you know, I think you guys are just doing more and more that's continuing continuing to impress which is great um, we're trying to i'm trying to learn yeah. um you know we're trying to learn from you know we you know we've not been known for a touring company and i'm not sure if we want to be known as a you know production touring audio company we might be i don't know but uh the band fish picked us up this past year we've been on tour with fish for literally the last year and a half and uh we're sitting in all audio positions at the moment so front of house monitors and broadcasts so um, you know, we're learning a lot from that and learning, getting a lot of feedback from those guys, but, uh, it's been real successful. They love the sound of the product, which is really, you know, kind of our first and foremost thing. You got to love the way it sounds. Um, but again, you know, it's a new thing and we, we, we try to learn and adapt as quickly as possible. So. Cool. Well, let's, uh, in, in that, that's probably a good transition. Let's shift gears a little bit and start our conversation about the sphere because you guys had a basically a firsthand inside look into (laughs) the planning and the prep and then the execution of that project so you know a lot of people were curious about a lot of things for a long time that were definitely under pretty strict nda so now that now that it's open to the public and people have seen it Let's kind of unpack just some of the nuts and bolts of what's in this infrastructure to begin with, and then we'll talk about application in a bit. But what was your role? Like, what what did Lavo have to do with the project, and how did you get introduced to it in the first place? Yeah, so um, a, a guy that's kind of become a good friend of mine in, in this world, a guy named Chris Lapp, who works for Cisco, um, called me one late one night and just said, um, I got a call for you to get on on Monday. Um, can't tell you about the project, but you're going to be asked a lot of questions about audio transport and video transport across the network. And ultimately, you, your company needs to explain why Ravenna, which is a kind of our audio video transport, our audio transport protocol, and uh, explain why Ravenna is better than Dante. Uh, because there's this large-scale project. Uh, Dante is struggling to meet this scale uh, and they explain what you can do to overcome these problems. And so Monday morning comes, uh, I was able to get the head of our Ravenna side of the company on the call with me and basically answered all the questions, just kind of wiped the floor with with everything they were asking. And Quickly thereafter, there was emails with NDAs and things like that to talk about what is, you know, we now know is the sphere. And it just kind of landed needing to provide an audio transport solution for tens of thousands of audio streams throughout this facility. And um, and then after that, it was like, well, what is Ravana? Where did it come from? And then I just kind of snowballed into 
us controlling all the routing within the facility, us doing a lot of video gatewaying and multi-viewing. So gatewaying being taking a typical SDI source and getting it into an IP fabric. So we, we handle that. Even though most of the facility is all 2110 native, so meaning that a piece of hardware just goes right into the fabric versus having to be gatewayed in. And then multi-viewing, monitoring, um, and then we have some consoles in there as well. So um, we have five consoles at the facility um, that can do just about anything. You can either bring your own console in, uh, and then you know we take your audio, bring it into us, and we can then immersive make that immersive. There's just kind of a lot of things flexibly we can do once in the fabric, but we basically control and orchestrate every route within the facility as well. So. A source doesn't meet a destination without our control system, VSM, telling it where to go. That's very interesting. So I, 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 I caught most of what you said, but when you yeah. said that they needed a way to basically transport tens of thousands of audio paths, I need to know more about what that means because that to me is like, what, tens of thousands, what do you mean? I can barely get like 48 channels right. <laughs> yeah, they gave me, they sent me a chart, you know, of all of the audio and I was like, there's no way, you know, so it's, you know, like I said, our cores are 1024. Uh, they are fully maxed out. So it's like, they're taking, you know, hundreds of audio channels coming in and that that's getting bussed out to 256 buses coming out of a, what they're calling, you know, kind of a central processing core. And so that happens, you know, we've got to get it down in some some way to get it then out to all the speakers so it's everything from video playback sources sources coming from front of house um you just name it there's just there's there's uh ports all over the facility that you can pick off from you know so you've got to account for making that route no matter where it is in the facility so it may not always be used you're probably not using twenty thousand audio streams at one time but there's a capacity to do so if you needed to. So like, um, you know, you needed to route 2,000 channels of audio to a holoplot array, that's easily done, you know, because you may need to take this one channel in and move it around and that's all you do with it for the show, but you still have to have a path for it. So um, the, the audio stream chart is just bonkers when you look I mean, at the it. Sheer, How many guys the are sheer scale of it is just bananas. Right. What do you say, Jay? Is it one guy mixing all this? I guess a lot of it's preset. It it can be anything. That's the thing. It's so they they're right now they're running two shows. There's you two. Um, so you have Joe Hurley who's mixing that show. Um, and then which is you know pretty you know pretty I don't want to say basic because there's nothing basic about this facility, but it's you know right. you're taking that and then moving things around. It's you know, it's a rock and roll show, so much of the audio is just kind of left, center, right in front of you, and then there's some immersive stuff that goes along with it. But then uh, they have a show called Postcards from Earth that is fully immersive, much more immersive than the U2 show because it's all playback. So you have less you have to think about, like, timing and delay and all that kind of stuff as you do with the live show. So you've got immersive elements that are coming every which way at every moment. And so uh, as well as haptics, that's the thing. You've got... Um, haptic feedback in, this, in a certain number of the seats within the facility. And so you've got to get audio there. Um, so, and there's ways you can do beam forming to where, you know, 
certain number of seats can have a completely different listening experience than, you know, another, let's say eight or 16 seats in the venue. So again, you have to account for all this overhead, depending on how you're going to use the facility. There was a lot of things built in the facility based on, you know, where they wanted to go and you couldn't, you didn't want to put limits on day one, you know, when like new later on, and there may the facility may be used for all these other things. UFC is talking about doing a fight there. And so what can you do immersive, you know? And so there had to be enough free form to like do an immersive, you know, uh, mixed martial arts show, uh, an immersive concert, you know, to an award show all the way up to pre pre-made content. So, you are know, the speakers custom in there? They're actually not custom. Um, they are made by a company called Holoplot. It's their X1 array. Um, there's, it was initially, you know, actually the Beacon Theater was the first place to have a Holoplot array. Um, that was MSG's kind of in New York you know, test. Yeah, in New York. So kind of a test venue. And then um, it's a it's a speaker box. It's got 96 drivers in it. That's individually amplified. Uh, I believe the one with the sub is uh, one or two less drivers or a few less drivers. I think it's like 90 plus the 18 inch sub that's in it. And those are just matrix. They're just squared, like one meter by one meter boxes. And they're just, you know, if I can uh, show you guys a picture, there's just a, a large proscenium array of hundreds of these these boxes. There's 1,600 in the actual, what they call the dome and uh, or the bowl. And so there's 1,600 of these speakers that have roughly 100 drivers in them. And you do that for all the beam steering. You can't get the granularity of beam steering without that number of drivers, right? And so the more drivers you have, the more closely related they are, the, the better beam steering you can get. So each driver is points. only, what, three inches? I mean, it's got to be tiny. Yeah, yeah, it's a small driver, yep. And uh, you just have a bunch of them. Um, if you just pull up H-O-L-O-P-L-O-T, um, you can see that, that driver, um, and they have the cover off the box but you can see, yeah, they got them packed in there for sure. And so but they, for all intents and purposes, was, you've got basically about 180,000 speakers in this building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's about 160, yeah, 160,000 in one room. You know, that's not including what's in the, the hallways and the, you know, the suites and, you know, it's concourse. It's insane. And each in, each driver is individually amplified and can you know take a discrete channel of audio. That's crazy. So I've heard so one one I forget who told me, but there was some statistic that I heard that let's say you were doing a like a TED talk type thing or some sort of presentation event in this building, and you, it needed multilingual. Sorry, like if you were doing a presentation like a Ted talk in this building and you needed multi-language support that you could be sitting in your chair and hearing the presentation in English and the person next to you could be hearing a presentation in a different language and you couldn't hear each other's broadcast. Absolutely. Yeah, how, we, we actually, how does that work? <laughs> right. What kind of voodoo? Who'd you yeah, make a deal with? It's definitely some voodoo. Um, you know, it's, it's, the granularity of the beam steering and how to, to do the, how they can do what they call focused beams. And so, you know, they can, it's a little less granular in that size of facility. I think it's about every four or eight seats 
you know, okay. they can do a beam. Uh, they could do one as small, like as a basketball if they needed to, but then you would run out of processing at some point. But you can do about every eight, four to eight seats and do language support. So probably what they would do is just take a group of seats and ticket those off for a specific language and then steer um, a mix toward that one area. And basically, you know, it's pretty dead on when you step outside of that pattern. You might hear some reflections coming from elsewhere, but you don't hear any direct audio. So it's almost more like somebody's having a conversation next to you a little bit versus like you directly hearing that other language. So they've, they've shown that of several other demos too. You can stand at an X on the floor and get English. You go two meters to the right, you get Mandarin and you know, go a little further out, you get Portuguese or whatever. It's, it's pretty crazy. That's unbelievable. Uh, and that it sounds, in sounds good. Same. That's the thing. Okay, so like, yeah, you know, that, that's another, that's another question. Like how, how does the audio experience compare to just like a, a left, right line array at a rock show? In other words, the, the U2 experience with this PA is very different than what most of us have come to expect. So how does it compare? What do you like about it? What do you think are its limitations? Like, is it really best for purpose-built content or is anybody going to be able to walk in there and have a successful experience? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and I've heard it in a few different applications, you know, inside and outside of the sphere at this point. And, um, you know, I think as with any speaker system, it's all in what you put through it, right? And how yeah. well you mix. But they're not going to have any problem, have not had any problem, you know, getting a high quality show out of those boxes. Um, there's a lot of R&D that went into it. So there's a lot of things they even continually tweak. I mean, I know one of the first demos I was a part of, um, the low end was just, it's a bandpass box. So it sounded like a bandpass box. Um, and so anybody listening, like bandpass can sometimes sound not punchy and a little flubby based on the design. And between hearing it at the first demo and later demos, they even tightened up the low end um, somewhere in their processing and, uh, you know, are just continually improving. On the immersive side, you have to be very careful because of processing and latency. You start getting really focused beams. They start to get a little more latent. And so you got to be very careful because then they could become well out of line of a live source. Um, you could do what are called diffused beams where it's just kind of spray of audio kind of everywhere, giving you this, you know, more of a kind of an immersive, not um, kind of, again, focused channels of audio mm -hmm. and that's a lot less latent so it's easier to use in a live format but all that to say i mean they're they're pushing into live other live markets and live venues with this product so um i don't see it having a problem keeping up with anybody else other than you know it's it can be using some very cool applications that's that's for sure um i saw recently they were doing some outdoor testing uh at a festival and uh I don't, again i don't think they're gonna have a problem with it um and they, got, they have some new products coming out much smaller that aren't quite as large, quite as heavy, quite as expensive. So, um, but, you know, they're going to be able to do shows there. That's for sure. Man, very interesting. Well, I can't I mean, wait that's, to, I can't wait be to wild. hear it. Yeah. I'll say for me, the, the amount of audio and like energy you have coming at you and the experience you can get is, is awesome at a much lower volume. You know, you go to some concerts, well over 100 dB. It feels great. 
uh, but it's real fatiguing after you know a two hour concert. Yeah, here you can sit here and listen to you two for three hours at a much lower decibel level, but you still get a lot of energy coming to you, and you don't feel fatigued at the end of the show. Interesting. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the video experience because I know a lot of people have seen the sort of visuals from you two, especially, and even the postcards project where it's just this completely immersive video thing where you're surrounded literally by images because of the shape of the room. Obviously they're building content that is designed to envelop you. So talk for a minute about that. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, the first time I walked into their testing facility out in Burbank, uh, which is like a one-tenth size of sphere, I was completely disoriented by the video content. You're not, your brain is not used to this video screen that it's going around you. And so yeah. to get that in even a much larger scale like sphere with 18,000 seats and the video goes completely you know, over your head, it's... Again, it's disorienting because you're you just your mind is trying to put into context of everything that's going on, and you know sometimes just to look up and look around, you 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 think you're in a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have content that's then curated and built just for that venue and specifically for these events, um, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. I'll be honest with you. Um, and then the way that. I was most impressed by how they've been able to mix the iMag in with the content. And so if you go and be a, you know, you're part of one of the shows, um, you can see how they've, they've taken these camera shots and they've mixed them in with this immersive video content. So like you may have a camera that appears within like this object within the wall and it may move around with the content or there's a moment in the show with you two where, there's a string that drops from the ceiling and on the, on the wall, there's a balloon and it looks like, you know, and then Bono's kind of flying around as the balloon is moving around. And, and so it's, mm. you can even interact with the content just cause it feels like it's part of the environment. So it's, uh, that's and crazy. You don't see any speakers. All the speakers are behind the led. Um, they're all micro perforations in the led wall. So you get all of the audio, you know, without even seeing the speakers within, within the led wall. And, um, it's, it's pretty insane. Um, that's crazy. It comes down to it. So in terms of the actual physical structure, there's, there's led on the outside, obviously that yep. the public can see just from the street. And then there's the led experience on the inside. So you've got this membrane and then you've got the interior. So what does the space between look like? Like just from a structural standpoint, what, in terms of construction, like how, how does that all work in? Yeah. So it's a ball inside of a ball is really what it is. So you have kind of what you're seeing the outside, the ectosphere that we've all kind of seen on social media. Um, and they're, they're like little led pucks, um, and they're spaced pretty far apart, uh, in reality. And so when, when they don't have the wall on, on the outside, you can actually see through the top part of the building. Um, and then you can kind of see the interior sphere portion, and so uh, there's quite a bit of gap between the outside wall and the inside wall. You can you can literally walk in between them. Uh, Are there catwalks and, the and the, stuff up there that you can for absolutely. maintenance and there's, things? Yeah, 
guess cow walks for maintenance. Um, some of the things you get got to get to, you got to fly to, um, you know, you got to rig and then kind of rappel down and certain things. Uh, but certainly a thought about maintenance when it comes to it. There's actually a portion of the U2 show that the balloon portion where they drop something down, they actually pull a portion of the wall out. <laughs> Uh, and then drop that that lead down. So it's it's pretty interesting. There's a guy wow. up there actually pulling that piece out. But uh, you know they they had to figure out how they're going to service this thing over the years. They can't just bring in a crane every time they want to work on it. But yeah, then you have the interior LED. Um, they're made up of uh, all these different types of panels. Um, you know it has to meet the curve of the building. So there's specific ones for specific areas depending on where it's going to go in. And um, I found it interesting. One of the times I went there during construction, there was a guy in what's now the front of house area and he was laying down and, uh, I thought he was sleeping on the job. I was like, look, he's, he's taking a nap. And then, uh, on <laughs> closer observation, I walk up, he's actually laid back on one of these like camping chairs and he's got binoculars and he's calling out like pixels in the led wall that either need to be calibrated or need to be replaced. And so they were going quadrant by quadrant, you know, going through all the pixels in this thing to make sure it's, it was 100% from day one. That's and, crazy. Uh, I can't imagine that job, you know. Um, but yeah, um, it's, uh, again, it's kind of made to be modular. If you need to load in, load out, you got portions of the wall that comes out to be able to load in, you know, underneath the proscenium there. Um, there's no permanent stage in the facility. So if you go in and see a stage, it was brought in for that show. So the whole U2 stage is, you know, stage for that show. So everything's really. So that, that gives them so many options, right? Because of the nature of the 360 immersive type thing, they could do it something in the round. They could yeah. do all kinds of business. Oh yeah. You can, you know, do custom content, man. It's all about like what you, what you can do to draw people in, you know, to what's happening. Cause you know, in the top seats, you're pretty far away, but you have this big screen that we all know if you go to big enough concerts, you want to watch the screen anyway. So what, what right, can you do right. to draw people in where you forget that the stage is, you know, several hundred feet below you? That's amazing. Well, I, I wonder like how, and this isn't a question for you to answer. This is just me musing. Like how practical is it going to be for other tours to have a residency there? Because the content requirement is so different. We're not just talking about a bunch of 16.9 or video server stuff. It's like, you've got to build pretty purpose built content to be able to have the experience that you'd want to have in this place. So, you know, we're talking about massive acts who are going to invest a ton of money, even MSG having to invest, you know, a ton of money in figuring out how to, how to support these things well. So what, what do you think is going to like, is there a calendar for what's next? Like who's coming in? Who's, who's working on building stuff for this? Yeah. So fish is in April. Uh, that's been announced. Um, so, which is really interesting. Um, I've been obviously us being out on tour with them, having a lot of conversations of what that looks like once they go into sphere. And what's interesting about fish is there's nothing about a fish show that's programmed. Right. Right. It's, right. You know, they Nature just did a run at M Yeah. They just did a run at MSG, um, which is their big new year's. I mean, they'll do four nights back to back with, you know, four hour shows, not play a single song twice. Right. Um, yeah. They may have a thought of a set list, but most of the time that goes off script. So how do you do that? In and it's certainly a, not time coded because they've got, 
you know, you could have a song that just goes into a 20 minute extended jam that isn't planned or predicted. And you just got to kind of punt in terms of lighting and video, I'm sure. So, right. And even to the point of like live instruments in that room is uh, a difficult thing. You know, a round room is the worst room for acoustics. Yeah. Anybody who's done a show in a dome before knows that that parabolic reflection is not exciting as a front of house engineer. Or right, it engineer. looks pretty, but uh, physics yeah. are, are, are uh, so even thinking about like live amps in the room, uh, having a live drum kit. You know, there's you you see with you two, there's a there's a plexiglass shield that was not you know there in the initial plan, but you kind of had to do that based on the room. So um, I know there's some big acts they're talking to. You name it, they've so all churches been through out the there, facility. Just know, even you two is using a drum shield. So even you two is using a drum shield. <laughs> So, I mean, like fish, there's going to be need to be some planning that's involved. Um, I I think uh, Kuroda, who's the the uh, lighting engineer for fish, man, that that guy probably doesn't get paid enough because he's with that big of a, of a lighting package, he is busking the entire show, and so like try to figure that out with sphere is going to be be interesting. I I don't know if it's all planned yet. Uh, but it's it's definitely being talked about and thought about, like how do you do this in a live, non-linear, not non-produced type of way? You know, you get you have somebody that uses a lot of tracks. The songs go the same way every night. That's one story. But versus like a band right. that just does not have a script, yeah. you know, how's it going to work? And so, I mean, I think <laughs> of all people that can be immersive and be cool, as much as probably like a lot of the generation that listens to this podcast just doesn't listen to fish. If you kind of give them a chance and listen to it, there's a lot of cool things that, like, I think you can really do with their music. You know, yeah, so. that would be very cool. Well, maybe we can uh, get out there and experience it in person. I would love to see and hear it. I've I've just I've read about it and I've seen so much on social media about it. I'm fascinated. Um, I'm going uh, in a few weeks. Nice with uh, uh, Ryan and Ryan Swinney McCormick. Very cool. Yeah, um, it should be good. So what about the video side? Like, obviously, it's not standard resolution. So for people who are creating content, like, what is the what is the raster? What is the, like, how does it do its processing to make it so big and wide and round and all that? <laughs> yeah, it's 16K uh, resolution. Uh, LED was four acres large. Um <laughs> And there are um, hundreds of these rasterizers or servers um, made by a company called Seventh Sense. And, um, you know, they're handling all of kind of the image creation. If you see how all these pixels get put together in a, in a round format, like if you were to try to put that on a flat screen, it actually doesn't translate. Yeah. Um, and the monitoring side of it's very difficult because you don't have another sphere you can sit in and monitor all these things. So there's a lot of monitoring on the back end that goes from like the health of the video streams to the health of the LED wall and the processors just so you can kind of know if there's a problem because getting an image on a flat surface that's meant for a round surface, it's really not even viewable. Um, but yeah, getting the 60K image together is not easy. And so I have to go through these hundreds of video processors that really put all that together. And they have some other ways in their studios and stuff like that to kind of rasterize it and kind of get a general idea. But there's some things, you know, you just don't really know and understand until you get into the room. 
um, both on the audio and video side. So um, the uh, it's it's a huge lift uh, on the processing side to try to make an image. And on top of that, the cameras, right? So there's no camera that's made to shoot this type of video. So they've had to invest in technologies and camera sensors and things like that in order to create images uh, for this. Uh, my understanding is they actually put some cameras on a rocket send it in outer space to get some of the footage for uh, postcards. So wow. um, I was actually told early on by one of the consultants in the project was like, Hey man, the best thing for you to do is not get on a call and tell them they can't do something because then they'll, <laughs> they'll want to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Uh, oh yeah. I'll you know, show you. Right. Yeah. There's like, Hey, we want to do this. No, you can't do that. And then it's like, all right, there's the nail. It's, it's happening. You know, you got to yeah, make, wh- make what's this it going to take to make this happen. That's amazing. Man, I don't it's, even know what uh, else to ask. Jay, what else you got? I mean, like, I, I want now I want to talk to Tony when we get back after I go see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's usually what's kind of, happened from the artists that I've talked to or their their teams. It's like they 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 talk a little bit about it before they go and then they come back and go, all right, you know, how is this done or how are we going to contextualize this? And so, you know, it's one of those things like you can't really explain it you almost have to just talk about it to somebody that's been there. Um, yeah. Honest question though. Yeah. Is this the future? Man. Uh, I think yes and no. I think, um, obviously MSG thinks that, that it is because there's more of these planned. Um, I think us as individuals are looking for more immersive type experiences uh, you see companies like Apple and others that are really pushing us toward these types of, you know, getting much closer to the field of play through an immersive experience, you know, through like maybe the goggles from Apple or other things. So I think this is just another step to concerts and shows. And so we can draw people more into what's going on. So I, I think so. Um, I think there's going to be ways to bring it down. If you're, you're the first one, that's always going to cost the most. Yeah, the um, tickets right now are absurd. Yeah, and I think that's one of those. It's is, you know, uh, it's hard. It's to new. Explain. It's a new thing. So it's a new thing. I think. Are you getting actual tickets from from MSG or are they they secondhand like from Stub MSG? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's trying to pay for all. You know, there's totally. a lot of research, a lot of the band. Yeah, I mean, the, the band put a lot in. The band's getting a lot out. Um, that's even hard to get tickets for people. The people that I know, it was hard for me to get tickets to opening night, to be honest with you, because every seat for it, for you 2 gets paid for. You know, the band gets paid for that seat. Um, so there's really no comp tickets for the show. So if you're getting a ticket, somebody's paying for it one way or another. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and it's just costly. You know, think about, like, Fish is only going to be there for four days right now. That's what they're contracted, you know, you can see on online. And it's a lot to get for four days. Back four days, 18,000 seats. It's not like you're in a 70,000 seat arena, you know? So what can you do to get paid back for all this content? You're getting, you know, making that content's not free. So, right. I mean, I guess the plan then for, especially for MSG to have multiple of these around the world um, is artists can go to multiple over time. And so the content can live on and be. Yeah, absolutely. So you can tour yeah, those can, venues basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's really kind of the thought as they would have, and the residency thing has picked up quite a bit, you know. Um, yeah, less traveling for the artists and their teams. Right? S- since most of our 
listener base is within the faith community, um, touring or not. Speculation. What CCM artist, gospel CCM doesn't matter. What artist is cool enough? Like, I'll just be honest. Matthew West can't go (laughs) play at the sphere. (laughs) It's just bland, you know? So, um, and Chris too, Tomlin's not really going to thrive at the sphere because like the coolest content he has is me playing trumpet with a cityscape behind him. (laughs) So who is the artist in the faith world that goes to the sphere? Probably 15 years from now, because we're generally behind the curve. So. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I was actually having this conversation opening night after the show. I was like, uh, uh, another guy that's part of the project was also kind of involved in church. You know, we were riding down the escalator said, and I asked the same questions like, what CCM artist you think would pull this off? You know, um, who did he say? I mean, we were both just kind of shaking our heads. It's like, well, you know, who, who would do it? I mean, who's big enough to do it? Um, you know, is it like Map City or is it uh, Elevation or somebody like that? Um, or is it somebody, you know, more like King and Country? You know, they have a pretty large following, can fill a venue like that and has content that's very geared would be geared to something like that right yeah um, that's true so it's probably going to be i would think like a bigger ccm artist for sure you know that's you know probably we we wouldn't nail it uh to be honest with you but um you know i could see somebody like you know why wouldn't you do I mean, who knows maybe passion does something there yeah passion las vegas why wouldn't you do it <laughs> send me lord <laughs> Just make well, it happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, it's wild. Whatever happens, I, I'm sure it's going to be years down the road. But if, if maybe, the trend Maybe Central toward, does Christmas there. Yeah, maybe yeah, so. Yeah, Adam, get on it, bro. Come on, Adam. Let's make it happen. <clears throat> well, it's probably years down the road. But if the trend continues toward more immersive experiences, I mean, that that is what culture is moving toward. It's what people seem to want. So... You know, whether it's the sphere or other things like it, I think, you know, that's probably the future that we're headed toward, which, you know, obviously hyper creativity is always going to spur technology and vice versa. So it'll be exciting to see what happens. And uh, I don't know, the future is, you know, a bunch of, I don't know, a bunch of line array speakers in a convention center type rectangle is probably not what the future looks like. So it's going to no. be interesting to see how we not only adapt to those changes, but how we, I'm, I'm curious, like how we want to listen is going to change. You know, you talked about SPL volume being lower, not necessarily being beat over the head by this bombardment of sound coming through a, a concert. It's like, so what does it look like? You know, is it, speakers in every seat is it individual goggles or headphones or whatever that are more immersive and people getting a a dedicated you know surround mix some kind of atmos thing or is it you maybe get to control your own mix at some level where you get to hear different things the way you want to hear them i mean the possibilities are endless i'm 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 excited to see what happens in the industry cuz things like the sphere are only opening up more creativity and more kind of dreaming potential. Yeah, I think Andy Stanley said it years ago that 
awareness drives desire, right? And so yeah. now that we're aware of something like this, it kind of puts this vision in our head and our heart that where can we take this? I mean, we, you know, wasn't too long ago that even immersive within church was like, you know, a dream. But now you're seeing like Space Map and Elisa and all this show up in House of Worship right. venues. Yeah. And then people are going to want to take that experience if they're doing something more immersive with what they have. How can you get that into the seats at home? And so with having immersive in you know, wireless ear pods and, you know, headphones these days, and you can get immersive through your device, you know, delivering that content is really not much of a stretch to get it there. And, um, you know, I could, it's, I can see it coming. I actually have more and more conversations as time goes on about house of worship and how you can get engaging and immersive content at home. And yeah, I think the cost driving that has come way down and yeah. to, to deliver that is not really astronomical, especially as like, you know, YouTube and, you know, other platforms are going to offer, you know, immersive content and you can get full down based on your, your experience. If you don't want immersive and you want stereo and you only have stereo, then it'll fold down. So all that's going to be automatic. It's not really going to be costly. And so, yeah, I really don't think we're that far off from people. I mean, some people are going to think it's indulgent, but other people are going to think it's another way to engage people with the gospel. So yeah, yeah, I, well, I we'll see. Like far fetched. I think you're right, and you know, we'll see kind of how fast and how soon some of that'll happen. I think based on how people are going to adopt the the Vision Pro from Apple. You know, I think they've always been such innovators that you know, if if these headsets start flying off the shelves at that price point all bets are off at that point because then they're going to start making incredible content and people are going to, you know, kind of like the, the white earbuds did a generation ago, you know, you're going to have people clamoring for what's next. So it's going to be exciting. See if yes. I can say this without breaking any, uh, NDAs here, but, um, I guess they've been announced. So like I was able to see some early versions of the, the vision pros and some content on them that again, you know, makes me think about how the faith community and other people can use these. And like, again, I don't think we're that far off and I think it's pretty engaging in what you can do there and the stuff so, that they're developing and where they're heading. Are you going to buy one? Yeah, absolutely. I'll have okay. one. Okay. Interesting. Well, I'll, I can... uh, yeah, I feel like I kind of, I will kind of need to based on some partnerships that we have. So, <laughs> okay, then the next question, are you going to buy me one? <laughs> Everybody gets one. This is like Oprah, man. Oh, you good. get a Vision Pro. You get a Vision, you get a Vision Pro. Pro. You get a Vision Pro. But guys like Apple's are the ones, you're right, like that push us. We didn't know we all wanted we didn't know we all wanted Bluetooth headphones. We didn't know we all wanted AirPods and Bluetooth. They they physically took away. Well, the we jack didn't know we didn't know we wanted an iPod. I mean, I remember the first like <laughs> yeah. The first Apple launch of the iPod and Steve Jobs yeah. standing on stage saying a thousand songs in your pocket. And he, he dropped that first generation iPod in his shirt pocket. And I was like, I kind of miss the iPod. Who, who would want that? And then boom, I mean, everybody had to have it. It's like, so that kind of innovation, you know, is, is yeah. only going to continue to change the game. Well, and then the competitors come and then the, the, um, I mean, we saw the moment they got rid of the headphone jack. Everyone had a pair of Bluetooth headphones. Yeah. Perfect example I use all the time, uh, you know, when lecturing these kids these days, is um, Google Fiber. The moment they announced Google Fiber in Atlanta, AT&T and Comcast did too. 
and theirs was available immediately. So they were already sitting on it. Yeah. They'd already run it. They're already sitting on it, but there was no need. There was no competition. It was never introduced. The desire was never there because they, like, no one needed. Then Google goes and says it, and everyone's like, Google Fiber's out of money now on this particular project. And I have Google Fiber. They're maintaining what they've put down, but all of us want fiber. Yeah. It doesn't matter where we're getting it from. All of us want fiber. They just have to give us the option and everyone follows suit. So yeah. it's exciting no, to see what's next. Nobody thought they would yeah. need 1,024 channels in a one RU hardware, but <laughs> hey, right. Lavo, you got to give are. people what they want. That's right. Uh, well, Tony, you're a brilliant happen, man. Yeah, I love it. So I, there's three things on this podcast so far that I never thought I would hear and have never appeared on the MXU podcast before. One, 16K video. Two, four acres of LED surface. And three, ectosphere. Jay, you know I'm a word guy. And ectosphere is now a word that I'm going to start adding to my vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Let me give you a a little parting context on the sphere. Okay. They cannot run all the LED at full brightness or will take down the electrical grid within Las Vegas. That's how much power it takes to run the place. (laughs) Did you tell them that we know where power comes from? Amen. <laughs> you know where else there's power? There's power in the blood. Amen. <laughs> That's true. Um, so true. Well, Don't on that me. note, yeah. Tony, we're going to let you go. But thank you so much, as always, for being a part of the conversation. I love it and love you and what you guys are doing. And Thanks for allowing me to, to be see here, what's guys. next. You're yeah, the man. Sure. Okay. Well, this is going to be an interesting outro to this episode because... You know, we just talked to Tony Stairs and heard all about the sphere and the infrastructure and the project and all that. But Jay, you and our friends Ryan McCormick and Ryan Swinford are actually in Vegas. And last night you saw you two at the sphere. So I wanted to get here. We are live in Sin City. Yeah. I am. I am covered with filth. We survived. I, I cannot imagine what jay in vegas would be like but you know it's not great it's, it's not great that's why we're here well, to keep him in check uh that's yeah, for good those so he's got chaperones not, uh, not heard me mention uh ryan and ryan before they're basically like my probation officers mixed with my accountability partners it's like a tough it. job it's a full-time job dear, dear friends both both came out of church world uh production guys but now in the secular space, working for the uh, uh, the chicken ministry known as Chick Fil A. That's right, the Holy Poultry. The Holy Poultry. But we went to the show last night, Jeff, and Holy Poultry. Okay, so I just I need to know, like, just because what I wanted to get was just sort of an immediate kind of firsthand like reaction. So, talk to me about just what it was like. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that, like, I had heard so many different people had come to the show. I'd heard so many amazing reviews. It almost, I kind of almost went in, like, slightly skeptical. Like, can it be this good and overwhelming yeah. and, like, can it be this different? You know, people were like, it's like no other show you've ever been to, which is a pretty bold statement. Yeah. Um, but, honestly, you walk in and all of a sudden you see the scale of the, like, the sphere and you're like, oh, my God. Like, this is gonna be incredible and then that first note from the edge and you're like i'm in this is it so it was really 
Um, it's not hyperbole to say, Hey, it's like a, sh- it is unlike any other show that I've been to. Yeah. So in terms of the audio experience, like I've, I've heard YouTube before and I'm one of, I'm one of the few people in the world who's just kind of like take it or leave it on their live shows because I just don't think it sounds very good. So what was the audio experience like? I mean, I think one of the, one of the immediately interesting things just about the sphere is like, you don't see any PA anywhere. Like as far as when you're facing forward, like if you look behind some of the under balconies and stuff like that, you could see some boxes, but all of it is behind the LED wall. So it's kind of a weird moment there to not have a visual point of reference. Normally you're kind of like looking for the, like, okay, there's the left hang, there's the right hang. I can kind of like set myself. Um, kind of messes with your head. Yeah. Because audio is mean, immersive in some of the songs. It's coming from all over the place. I turned around at one point. I remember hitting one of them because when I turned 180 degrees, the audio flipped for me because there are speakers back there and I could hear the edges guitar in a different place than when I was turned around. That's crazy. Which, by the way, the the edge in his guitar, I mean, it just is incredible. If you are like, unbelievable, if you are a Christian guitar player listening to this, you owe the edge. The edge <laughs> is CCM. You should probably just stop playing. Probably <laughs> stop Edge knows what he's done for Christian music. That's amazing. Man, he was something special, and he certainly like in the mix. He that was the that was the piece that soared over even Bono's vocal, probably. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Jeff, it kind of like the um, like when you wear those like the Apple headphones and mm-hmm. do their kind of like spatial audio stuff for the first yep. time, and you mm-hmm. that that's kind of what I would liken it to. Of you all of a sudden had this, there, there was all kinds of crazy things happening with panning and stuff that was just more, you know, I use keep using the word immersive, but it was more exaggerated than just a normal like, okay, here's a left right panning or here's an LCR. Like it was, you know, truly like total spatial panning where a guitar part would start on the left side and then it would kind of bounce to the right side in in such a dramatic fashion that it was really um yeah it was pretty unique but it, it would go behind you as well so it's truly it 360 was, yeah. in terms of the experience yeah. and i then, think i could watch that show multiple times from different vantage point and enjoy it yeah that's that's very um, cool the the thing that uh, some of the comments i've heard about uh, about the sound you can't negate the cavernous space, so you can't get rid of that. Right. And it's not like they can just put all this uh, padding in front of a hard surface LED wall. So you are in a little bit of a cavernous space. So understanding that and giving that a little bit of forgiveness in the equation. Oh, that's some. Yeah, you feel that. But it really was like pretty brilliant. And there were there were preferences in the mix that I wouldn't care for at times. But at the same time, from the downbeat to the end, you can also never beat uh, thousands of people singing on the top of their lungs at multiple points. There were tears. Oh yeah, we might have we might have made fun of a few people, but there were some there was there were some questionable outfits, and there were some tears. And that's just in your three seats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was not the first to cry. Not, <laughs> yeah, unlike unlike most experiences where Ryan Sw- Swinford is in the room, he wasn't the first one crying. So exactly, I mean, <laughs> We're, that's a win. We're proud of him. We're proud of him. But beautiful day will get you. It'll get yeah, you. of course, of Every course time. it will. That's awesome. Well, obviously, visually, it's stunning. 
for sure. I mean, anytime you see pictures or videos of what's happening on all of the LED, it's like overwhelming. What was, what was that part of it like? I mean, obviously it's scale like you've never seen before. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm assuming that the audio and video were matched in terms of the, the awe factor. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, especially like a few of the songs that they had really obviously spent serious time and effort and resources to build out the content. Some of those moments were, it was just the, it was evident to see the intentionality of both um, the LED content, the audio, the band performance, the camera movements. Cause like they were incorporating iMag into this as well. And I don't, I don't know if I had thought, had thought about that when, I think all the pictures you see are all a lot of like the scenic LED, right? But they did some really cool stuff really with cool. iMag. We got we got to cameras. meet with one of the the guy who provides the cameras before the show, and Sweet. it was awesome. Um, in our overview, everything was custom made, so the robotics would uh, are on a track. There's three of them, and they would never crash into each other. They have these sensors that when they get they can get as close as six feet apart without hitting each other with the robotic arms and then the uh, dolly cam that's right at the back of the GA seating is custom made. And uh, he raised it and lowered it and I had my hand on it and I couldn't feel it. I mean, wow. it was dead, dead still and dead quiet. We, we saw the robotic camera move. Was it Bono at the edge? It was right in front of him. And it was absolutely just moving all over the place. Yeah, it was wild to watch these were like multi-axis camera like robotic arm cameras these weren't just like a single up down pan left these were you know truly and they what was super cool like the guy that we met with told us that they all the cameras are talking to each other so if the director takes one of the cameras as soon as the tally goes that camera the other two cameras automatically get out of the way and drop out of the shot and That's so you can Oh yeah. And so like, obviously there's some amazing like automation that was happening to that, both and both on the operator side, but you could also see like edge and Bono had like really rehearsed, like playing to the camera. Mm -hmm. And what was cool is like you had all these moments with like tight camera shots that were really cool that there's no camera operator on deck. There is no like handheld operator. It's all these like smaller robotic arms that are doing all of it, which really kind of added to that super clean stage visual that they already had. I couldn't find the PTZ that was in the drum cage. It was once I found it, I noticed it, but it was it was awesome too. The way we were pretty up, we were pretty close. But if I can only imagine in the four hundred section, still feeling that close because of the nature of the LED wall at IMAG. That's crazy. The content was incredible though. Like on some, especially you, like you said a second ago, there was definitely songs. They went all in on the content. It was unbelievable. And what they can do in that room, they can make it feel like a box where the ceiling's collapsing in on you. I mean, it is pretty, it, it makes you question like what's real and what's fake. The stage was not moving, but it felt like for five minutes that the stage was moving, but actually all the content was scrolling down behind it and it wigged us out. But we, did, we felt like we were moving. We felt like the whole floor was going to hit the ceiling. It was multi-sensory in every way because i think the audio uh allowed for it too it would be wild to see their process for just a single moment like that with everyone in the room and it wasn't just like it wasn't distracting either no. like it was a u2 show yeah you know that's cool well multi-sensory i think is a great adjective for all of it and i uh, i mean i can't wait to see it because obviously i i know that you guys are pretty 
pretty discerning and like you said, Ryan, going into it kind of skeptical and then still being yeah. overwhelmed, even though you know how stuff works, just being being amazed by the by what's happening, even if you know what's happening, that's to me like the indicator of something that's truly special. So that's true. That's, that's really cool. Well, I'm thank you guys for sharing your first blush kind of reactions and insight. I think, you know, it's something that everybody needs to see. I'm I'm curious to see how it's going to move forward with other artists and other content. And, you know, obviously yeah. the purpose-built content is really where the thing shines. And so I can't wait to see what other people and do. And we, we talked to, um, we talked to the guy that we were talking to yesterday about uh, come, whoever's coming next. And mm -hmm. he was like, yeah, budgetary constraints may not allow them to do the custom content. Cause there's this one moment that uh, a chain has a rope connected to a balloon and Bono is holding a balloon. The balloon's on the LED, but the rope is physical, and the balloon is moving on the LED. It it's wild, wow. but that took a lot to yeah. plan and pay for. And so he was saying, "What did he say uh, they were going to do? Oh, live rendering. So they're probably going to do some more of that uh, live video effect stuff in order to substitute for content." So. It will be interesting. Just because the content creation for that canvas is so um, massively cost prohibitive. Yeah, well, there's, not a, there's not a raster that exists for that thing. It's like everything has no. to be custom because it's so, no. so many pixels. It's just so massive. Do you think, do you think the tailors, my tailors say the same thing? There's, there's not a size for this guy. Everything we make for him is custom sizing. <laughs> yeah, the sphere is just like Jay's tailor. I love it. Well, guys, thank you so uh, much for really sharing your brilliant. insights. That's cool. Yeah, well, thanks, Jeff. Can't wait to see it. And I can't wait to see you guys in person. You need to come to Greenville, and we go to Lewis Barbecue, and we can talk about it in person. We talked about it last night. Prime rib, Wednesday night. I'm, let's do it. I'm in. All right. Thanks. thanks, guys. To sign off, uh, for we always say this. Go check on your friends. Get some friends. These are two of my greatest friends and honor of a lifetime to have. So you don't have two Ryans in your life go find you two ryan's Love or at least it. one yeah <laughs> yeah or at least one <laughs> all right guys have a great trip back we'll see you soon all right thanks jeff see you then.